Well, good morning. It is uh, really, really good to be with you. As Eric said, uh, my name is Matt Scogan, and I know I'm biased, but I believe I have the best job in the world. I get to be president of Hope College, which I believe to be the best college in the world. And I know we've got some Hope fans here, so it really is, there we go. <laughs> It really is an honor to be here. Uh, my family and I, of course, we live in Holland. Uh, we consider Pillar Church to be our home church, uh, but it is uh, such a joy to be with you this morning. And I can, I can say this honestly and without exaggerating that this church, Christ Memorial, is one of my favorite churches in the world. And you say, well, how can he say that? He doesn't even really know us. And that may be true, but I can say it because some of my favorite people in the world have come through this church. Uh, so for me, at the top of that list is and always will be Tim Brown. And I know that that's many years out of date now, but it still is hard for me to think of Christ Memorial and not think of Tim Brown. Uh, Tim Brown has been part of my life for more than 25 years. He did the premarital counseling for my wife, Sarah, and me when we were engaged. So he's been just an, enormous, uh, an enormously significant part of my walk with Jesus. Uh, Mike, Pitz Mike Pitzenberger was here. He's on the board of Hope now. Eric Scrotenborg and I went to college together at Hope. So if you want some real stories about me, you could talk to Eric. Uh, Emily, who, who you heard from, works at Hope. So the, the connections are deep, uh, and it really is an honor to be here. So many people who I would consider to be in my personal hall of fame uh, have been part of this church or are part of this church right now. So thank you very much uh, for having me. Uh, it's a particular joy for me to be here this week, uh, Thanksgiving week. This is, I think, I think it's not an exaggeration to say that this is my favorite week of the year. And it's my favorite week of the year because Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday of the year. And so this morning we're going to talk about grace and gratitude. Uh, but before we jump in, let me read you a story from Scripture. Uh, this is from Luke 7, and I'm starting at verse 36. It says this. It says, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus over for a meal. He went to the Pharisee's house and sat down at the dinner table. Just then, a woman of the village, a prostitute, having learned that Jesus was a guest in the home of the Pharisee, came in with a very expensive bottle of perfume and stood at his feet. She started weeping. Tears rained on his feet. Letting her hair down, she dried his feet with her hair, then kissed his feet and anointed them with perfume. When the Pharisee who had, who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man was the prophet I thought he was, he would know what kind of woman this is. Jesus then said to him, Simon, two men were in debt to a banker. One owed 500 pieces of silver, the other owed 50. Neither of them could pay up. So the banker canceled both debts. Which of the two would be more grateful? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one who was forgiven the most. That's correct, said Jesus. Then turning to the woman, but speaking to Simon, he said, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You provided no water for my feet, but she rained tears on my feet and dried them with her hair. You gave me no greeting from the time I arrived, but she has not stopped kissing my feet. She was forgiven many sins, and so she is very grateful. If the forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, I mentioned that uh, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday, and that's true. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. It's my favorite holiday for a number of reasons. Um, for one thing, it's still, it's still a relatively pure, relatively uncommercialized holiday. 
unlike Christmas, for example, which is just so far gone, it's never coming back in terms of uh, commercialization. Um, I also love Thanksgiving because it's, it's, like a, it's a very straightforward holiday. The name of the holiday tells you exactly what you're supposed to do to recognize the holiday. And I don't know about you, but some, there's some holidays, uh, for example, New Year's Day for me, I never really know what we're supposed to do to recognize New Year's Day. It's just not clear. Um, there are some holidays, there's a very exclusive group of holidays where the name of the holiday tells you exactly what you're supposed to do to recognize it. So I'll read you a few of these. Uh, so January 8th, for example, is clean off your desk day. Very obvious what you're supposed to do to celebrate that one. Uh, March 30th is take a walk in the park day. Again, very obvious. April 25th, this is another one of my favorite holidays. April 25th is hug a plumber day. I like that one. <laughs> September 19th, you may not know this, September 19th is International Talk Like a Pirate Day. I still can't figure out why we don't have that day off of work. Uh, anyway, Thanksgiving is a great holiday because it's very straightforward. It's a day of giving thanks. That's what it is. It's a day dedicated to gratitude. And this is cool. I think this is cool because in our culture today, gratitude is kind of a virtue that's underrated. It's not necessarily one of the highly rated virtues. So, for example, imagine that you're in a job interview. You're interviewing for a job, and the person interviewing you asks a very typical interview question. The person asks, what is your best character trait? And you know, commonly accepted answers to that question would be uh, courage, or tenacity, or hardworking, or kindness. If someone says, I'm just really grateful, it's kind of a weird answer. It's, it's almost kind of a red flag, maybe. But unlike our modern culture, the ancients had a very different view of gratitude. So Cicero, for example, said that gratitude was the greatest of the virtues. He said it was the parent of all the others. And what's really interesting is that today, modern scientific research is backing him up, backing him up on what he said 2,000 years ago. So scientific research today shows that a person who expresses gratitude will have a stronger immune system, they'll have better mental health, they'll have reduced stress, and they will sleep better. In fact, right here in town at Hope College, we have professors in our psychology department who are doing research on this very topic. Uh, Charlotte Whipley, Lindsay Root Luna, Daryl Van Tongren have conducted studies showing that gratitude exceeds other character traits in terms of predicting one's happiness. And what's cool about this, this is scientific research, what's cool about it is that this scientific research is backing up what the Bible has said all along. In fact, the Bible actually takes it one step further. The Bible doesn't just say that gratitude is good for our physical health and our mental health. The Bible says that gratitude is actually the key to our spiritual health. The Bible says that gratitude is the way that we get closer to God. So Psalm 100, for example, says, enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. So the question is like, do you ever feel distant from God? Do you want to feel closer to God? Well, the Bible clearly spells out how we do that. You enter his courts with thanksgiving. It's almost like gratitude is the password, the password that we use to enter into God's presence. And it takes me to the last reason why I love Thanksgiving, which is my favorite reason of all. Thanksgiving is kind of a sneaky theological holiday. You know, Christmas and Easter are these sort of in-your-face Christian holidays. 
And Thanksgiving is not like that, but Thanksgiving is a holiday that actually, if you think about it, makes no sense without God. It's an absurd holiday without God. Why? Because when you say thank you, you have to say thank you to someone. Thanksgiving requires a giver. And one of the, if you have any friends who are atheists, one of my favorite things to ask atheists is, what do you do with your gratitude? Because when it comes to the biggest things in our lives, including our lives themselves, or the talents we have, who do you thank for that? Take your life, take your talents, take your gifts. Who do you thank? Do you thank biology? Do you thank your parents? Or or go, go outside at night on a clear night and look up at the stars. You ought to look up at the stars and feel gratitude. And the question is, who do you thank? Who do you thank when you feel that gratitude? Do you thank the Big Bang Theory? Do you thank the cosmos? You can try. You can try, but I think what you'll find is that behind the cosmos is a creator. A creator who loves you and has been pursuing you your whole life. Thanksgiving as a holiday makes absolutely no sense without God, because giving thanks requires a giver. And this, in fact, is exactly what Abraham Lincoln recognized when he officially proclaimed Thanksgiving to be a national holiday in 1863. And I want to read you part of his Thanksgiving proclamation. This is the first time Thanksgiving was ever officially declared to be a Thanksgiving, uh, to, to be a national holiday. Lincoln says this. He says, the year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come, others have been added, which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart, which is habitually insensible to the ever watchful providence of almighty God. No human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States, and those who are at sea, and those who are sojourning in foreign lands, to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. So first of all, like that's how you do the English language. I mean, that is a brilliant, brilliant piece of writing. And I think Lincoln can lay claim probably not just to being our best president, but probably can also lay claim to being one of America's greatest theologians. Um, I read that because it so well articulates this idea that you can't have Thanksgiving without God. It doesn't make any sense without God. By the way, if you know anything about American history, you know that 1863 was a pretty bleak time in our history. Like, if you, th- if you think things are bad now, in 1863, the country was literally divided against itself. We were literally at war with ourselves. And it was in the midst of this backdrop that Lincoln declares Thanksgiving to be a national holiday. And if you noticed in that proclamation, he actually says, 1863, middle of the Civil War, he says, this has been a year filled with blessings. And you can imagine, you can imagine what the, what the, the breaking news headlines might have been if this were said today. You can imagine a breaking news headline of something like, with hundreds of thousands of Americans dead on the battlefield. 
the president says, this has been a year of blessing. And sure, on one hand, it looks totally out of touch, but in reality, Lincoln is profoundly in touch with this very deep biblical truth that there's always something to be grateful for. And what I wanna do with the rest of my time is try to figure out how we can develop that kind of gritty gratitude, that resilient gratitude that is not dependent on circumstances, that kind of gratitude that can say, even in the midst of the worst times, this has been a year filled with blessings. And so to do that, I wanna talk about three quick things. First, I wanna look at what the source of gratitude is. Like, where does it come from? Second, I wanna talk about the poison of ingratitude and finally, to close, I'll give you two, I think, practical things that we can all do to practice gratitude, to develop this in our life. We'll start with the source of gratitude. The question is, where does it come from? And this is one of these beautiful cases where you can actually answer that question by going to the word itself. So the word gratitude comes from the Latin word gratus, and from the Latin word gratus, we actually get two English words. We get the English word gratitude, and we also get the English word grace. They both come from the, from the same uh, Latin word. And it's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that both of those words come from the same place, because they're actually two sides of the same coin. Grace is the event, and gratitude is the response. And what you see, actually, you see this more clearly in some other languages. So, for example, in Spanish or in Italian, uh, if you receive grace, what you do is you simply name it. You say, gracias, or grazie. Uh, what you're doing is you're just naming what you've received. You've received grace and you're naming it. It's the same thing in French. When you receive mercy, you just name it. Merci. You're just naming it. When you receive grace, you're just naming it. You're calling it out. So what's grace? Grace is receiving something you don't deserve. And one of the immediate responses to seeing grace is you ought to just name it. You just say it. That's grace. That's grace. I've received something I don't deserve. And don't deserving, like that's the key part of that phrase, receiving something you don't deserve, as opposed to something that's earned, something that's based on merit. So imagine, imagine a conversation you might have with your boss. Imagine that your boss comes to you and says, hey, I, I got a question. Did you, get, uh, did you get that paycheck last week? And you say, yeah, yeah, I got the paycheck. It came through direct deposit like it always does. And your boss says, oh, okay, I, I was just wondering because I didn't get a thank you note for the paycheck. And the reason that's a weird conversation, the reason that conversation doesn't happen is because gratitude isn't at play there. And the reason gratitude isn't at play there is because grace isn't at play there. You earned your paycheck. You deserved your paycheck. So it's not a grace event. A grace event is when you look at your life and you consider things that you've received that surpass, that surpass what you deserve. And that's when gratitude ought to kick in. My favorite, uh, my favorite example of this uh, of looking at your life and feeling like you receive things that you don't deserve. My favorite example of this is the 1995 baseball season. And if you're old enough to remember this, or if you're a baseball fan, you'll know, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So this was the year of the players' strike. Players were on strike, and the owners of the Major League Baseball teams decided they wanted to go ahead and play anyway, even without the players. So you have this phenomenon where guys were, one week, they were literally, uh, like, like, you know, minor league coaches or little league coaches, and the next week, all of a sudden, they were in the major leagues. These guys who had absolutely uh, uh, no business playing in the major leagues all of a sudden found themselves there. 
There's an author, uh, his name is Roger Kahn. Uh, this is from a book called The Boys of Summer, and this is how he describes uh, that season, the 1995 baseball season. He says this, he says, the games weren't fancy, mind you. One, one manager said his pitcher threw the ball so slowly that the radar gun couldn't clock him. <laughs> but, oh, did these guys have fun. They arrived before the park was open, oiling their gloves and cleaning their cleats. They thanked the attendants for washing their uniforms. They thanked the caterers for the food. They thanked the fans for paying a dollar to come watch them. These guys didn't see themselves as a blessing to baseball, but, uh, but they saw baseball as a blessing to them. In that short season, the Phillies gave away free hot dogs and sodas. And in the trade of the year, Cleveland gave five players to the Cincinnati Reds absolutely free. What made this so intriguing? What made this so magical? Quite simple. These were all guys living a life they didn't deserve. And they were chosen not because they were good, but because they were willing, and they knew it. There was no jockeying for position. There was no second-guessing the management. No strikes, no walkouts, no lockouts. These guys didn't even have names on the back of their jerseys. They were just thrilled to be on the team. That's gratitude. It's gratitude because it's a response to grace. It's the recognition that you're living a life you don't deserve. And that's the point. That's the point Jesus was trying to make in that story we read in Luke 7. So the story occurs where Jesus goes to have dinner at the house of a prominent religious leader, a Pharisee. And of course, in, in Jesus' day, just like he is now, Jesus was a very big deal. He was probably the most famous person alive at that time in that part of the world. And so it was a big deal to have Jesus over to your house for dinner. And this guy, this religious leader, is probably the kind of guy who thinks he deserves, deserves to have Jesus over for dinner, because he probably thinks he's a big deal too. So the custom in that day, of course, was that when you had somebody over for dinner, you would have someone in your home to wash the feet of your guests, because the roads are dirty and you're wearing sandals and so your feet are gross. Well, this guy, for some reason, he didn't have anybody there to wash the feet of his guests. And it wouldn't have been a big deal, it wouldn't even have been memorable, except for what happens next. What happens next is that this woman comes in, and she's a prostitute. And she sees Jesus, and she's overcome with emotion. And she starts weeping, and her tears fall on Jesus' feet. And she then, with her hair, starts to wipe his feet. This is really awkward. This is really uncomfortable. Like, imagine this happening on Thursday at your Thanksgiving dinner. It's very strange. And finally, the host basically says, this is really inappropriate. And Jesus, Jesus basically says, actually, no, it's not. It's not inappropriate. Actually, the only appropriate response to the grace of God is this kind of over-exuberant gratitude. And then Jesus says, let me tell you a story. There's two people, and they both owe a banker money. One of them owes $500, the other owes $500,000. And the banker uh, cancels both of their debt on the same day. Which of the two do you think would have more gratitude? And the Pharisee says, well, I guess the guy who owed more money. And Jesus says, yeah, exactly. And that's this woman. She can't help it. She can't help but be grateful because she's been shown so much grace. She's been forgiven so much. You, you think you deserve to have me in your life. But this woman, this woman knows she doesn't deserve to have me in her life. 
That's gratitude. Gratitude is the response to grace. It's the response to us realizing we're living lives we don't deserve. It's the response to us realizing we have way more than we actually deserve. Which leads me to the next section, which is the section on the poison of ingratitude. And now that we know what gratitude is, it's easy to figure out what ingratitude is. You just take the inverse of it. So if gratitude is the feeling that we've been given more than we deserve, ingratitude is the feeling that we deserve more. We deserve more than we've been given. And the question I would pose to you is which is you? Which better describes you? Do you feel like you've been given more than you deserve? Or do you feel like you deserve more than you've been given? And what I'm not asking you to do is reflect on that as a philosophical question right now. What I'm really asking you to do is to think about how you actually live. How do you actually act when you go out into your daily lives, when you go out into your week? Do you act as though you've been given more than you deserve? Or do you act as though you deserve more than you've been given? We're so quick, we're so quick to turn to this posture of griping and complaining. And I think it's a bigger deal. I think it's a bigger deal than we let ourselves realize. I think it's a big deal to God, and I think it's really toxic for us. It's a big deal to God because it just upsets him. It just upsets him when we're griping and complaining all the time. And if, if you're a parent, you instinctively know this. Because if you're a parent, the sweetest thing you can ever hear is your kids saying, thank you. Like, that was really fun playing with you, Dad. Thank you. Or that was a really good meal, Mom. Thank you. Thanks for making it. It's nothing sweeter than hearing your kids say thank you. And on the other hand, there's nothing worse than when you give something to your kids and you just hear them complain. You hear them gripe. I didn't want this. I wanted something else. I didn't want the blue plate. I wanted the red plate. Why does, why does she have more than me? My kids don't do this, but I know that some of yours do, so I thought it was worth mentioning. <laughs> it grates on you, man. It grates on you as a parent. And it's the same thing with God. When we complain, when we gripe, it just grates on him. And I think it also messes us up. There's a, a line that Paul has in Romans where he says, as a result, he says they refuse to give thanks to God. And as a result, their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And I think what he's saying there is that this attitude of not thanking God, this attitude of ingratitude is actually a poison. It's a poison that comes into your soul. And you say, well, okay, where does that poison come from? And not to weird you out too much, but the answer is it comes from the devil. It comes from the devil himself. And the Bible's very clear about this. The Bible's very clear that Satan's basic disposition is this attitude of being ungrateful. So who is Satan? Satan was this angel who was kicked out of heaven. Why? Because he said he deserved more than he was given. He thought he deserved a position of greater prominence than he was given. And now his sole mission, his sole mission is to try to convert human beings to his ungrateful position. And it starts all the way back in the Garden of Eden. So God gives Adam and Eve this perfect paradise, this perfect garden. He drops them in and says, you can do anything you want except this one thing. What's the right response to that? The right response to that is, thank you. I didn't make this garden. I didn't do anything to deserve to be here. Thank you. But the serpent comes in. The serpent comes in and he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's with this one thing? Why is God holding out on you? You deserve more. You deserve more than this. What's with this one thing? There's another uh, incident a few generations later. 
where the Israelites are in the desert. They're on their way to the promised land and they're in the desert. And obviously in the desert, you don't have food. And so what God does is he just starts dropping bread from heaven every morning. Bread just drops from heaven. And all they have to do to get food is go out and pick up the bread. Like talk about a free gift, but it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long for the Israelites to start complaining. And the Israelites start saying, you know, God, like a little variety would be nice. Could you start dropping some other things from heaven? And here's what God does. And I think for the parents in the room, this might be some good advice. So what God does when the Israelites start complaining is he sends venomous snakes into their camp. (laughs) And you read it and you think like, whoa, God, that seems a little bit uh, revengeful. Like you like control your temper, God. Um, My commentary was really helpful to me on this. My commentary says that what God is actually doing here is he's sending them a warning. And the warning is coming in the form of a reminder. The reminder is God is reminding them of where ingratitude comes from. It comes from the serpent. It comes from the snake. And in the end, the poison of these snakes is a lot less deadly than the poison of the serpent, than the poison of Satan, because that poison could ultimately separate you from God altogether. So the question is, how do we do this? How do we actually get gratitude in our lives? How do we get this poison of ingratitude out of our lives? And how do we soak ourselves in the reality the reality that we've all been given a lot more than we deserve. And I just want to give you two very practical things as we close. First thing is you have to express it. You just have to say thank you sometimes. And the second thing is you have to remember. You have to find a way to remember the big things you're grateful for. First, express it. Second, remember it. Um, Express it. Sometimes you just have to say thank you. So we're coming into the Christmas season. You know, as as, as long as there have been gifts and children, parents have been asking one four word question every time kids open a present. What do you say? What do you say? And the reason that question is important is because it's not, like, it's not okay for a kid to say, I don't need to say it, I'm grateful on the inside. No, it doesn't work. Like, unless you say thank you to the giver of the gift, the giver of the gift doesn't know that you're thankful. Gratitude, in other words, doesn't exist unless you express it. You have to express it. And it works the same way with us and God. We have to say thank you sometimes. Thank you to each other and thank you to God. And the second thing to become a grateful person is we have to find a way to remember what we're grateful for. So if you look up the word grateful in a thesaurus, uh, one of the things you'll see is that one of the antonyms of the word grateful is forgetfulness, which means that being grateful is a person who remembers. We, We remember what God has given to us. And one of the easiest ways to do this, I think, is to just write it down. So what I'd love to do is to encourage you to start a gratitude journal going back to the the scientific research that we referenced at the very beginning, uh, one of the things that the research shows is that those who write down regularly the things they're grateful for have happiness scores that are significantly higher than those who don't. And we see David doing this. David does this all throughout the Psalms. So Psalm 103, for example, is a a great example of this. Uh, In Psalm 103, David says, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget all the good things he has done for me. And then what David does is he starts to go through a list, a list of all the good things God has done for him. He says, God has forgiven my sins. He's healed me from disease. He redeems me from death. He crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things and my youth is renewed like the eagle. It's big stuff. And the reality is whatever we're going through, there's always something bigger. There's always something bigger to be grateful for. And one way you can remember that is just by writing it down 
Just write down what you're grateful for. And this will look different for each of us. Some of you may want to go out and get like a nice leather-bound journal with a nice pen and write it down that way. Some of you may want to do it on your laptop like in a spreadsheet so you can like sort the different things by different categories. Uh, some of you may want to do it on your phone. Uh, it doesn't matter. What I will say is don't do it on social media. Like posting what you're grateful for, hashtag blessing, like that's not gratitude. That's called boasting. Uh, so don't do it on social media. Uh, that's something else. But figure out a way to do it. That's the point. Figure out however it works for you. Figure out a way to uh, write down what you're grateful for and go back and look at it so that you can remember it. I look at my own life. I look at my own life, and there's just so much, from big to little. I mean, I love my job, and I love Hope College, and I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to be president of this amazing college that changed my life. And yet here I am. It's just grace. It's all grace. I don't deserve to be married to this amazing woman, Sarah, and yet there she is. It's just grace. I don't deserve to have three amazing kids in my life, and yet there they are. It's just grace. I don't deserve to have had a nice dinner last night, and yet there it was. It's just grace. It's all grace. And the only appropriate response to grace is an overwhelming sense of gratitude. I'm going to leave you with one quote. This is G.K. Chesterton. He says this. He says, you say grace before meals. All right. Well, I say grace before the concert and the opera. Grace before the play and the pantomime. Grace before I open a book. Grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, playing, dancing, walking. And grace before I dip the pen in the ink. It's all grace. It's all grace. Everything we have, everything we're able to do, it's all a gift of God's grace. And the only appropriate response is to be overcome with gratitude. Let me pray for us. Father, you've given us so much. Everything we have is a gift from you. And we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. So God, I pray that as we step into Thanksgiving week, that this would not be a one-off holiday, but this would be start, the start of a new season for all of us, a start of a new season where we're overcome, uh, just overwhelmed with the reality that we're living lives we don't deserve, just like those baseball players. We're living lives we don't deserve. And Lord, may it be that we're overcome with gratitude. And may it start to change us. May it start to change us. God, let us push away the poison from the enemy, the poison that says we deserve more. Because we know, we know that because of you, because of what Jesus did, we have way more, way more than we can ever deserve. So in the holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.